Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Rusty Quill presents. I said before that everything is different now, and I wasn't kidding. I slowly opened my eyes, and everything is blurry at first. I blink a few times, trying to get the sleep out of my eyes, the fuzziness out of my head. It eventually works, and I'm staring at a ceiling. It takes me a second to recognize it's the ceiling in the clock tower. Yeah, not that weird, except I'm staring at it, which means I'm lying down in the room in a comfortable bed. I can feel some sort of covering over me, which I'm assuming is a sleeping bag. But if I'm in the bedroom staring at the bedroom ceiling, it means I'm inside Monica's sleeping bag. And if I'm in Monica's sleeping bag, does that mean... I slowly look to my right, and there's Monica, lying next to me, sharing the sleeping bag. She's on her side, facing me, her left arm under her head, still asleep. Her arm is probably going to be seriously numb when she wakes up, but I don't care because she looks absolutely beautiful. Just perfect lying there. I can tell from her arm and bare shoulder that she's naked. I take a quick look into the sleeping bag by my chest and can see my pale thighs. Okay, I'm naked too. Cool. I wonder if this means... I start to cast my eyes lower on Monica to see if I can see um, anything, and that's when I see her eyes have opened. Hey, Jake. Did you sleep well? Her voice is like a warm blanket that fits perfectly around your body. And speaking of body, and 
that's when I start to feel something hitting me in the head. It hurts right away. Ow. Really, ow. I open my eyes and I see a super close-up view of dirt. Because my face is on said dirt. Because I'm on the ground. It feels like I could stay lying down forever. But then there's the thing thunking me in the head. And then I hear Monica's voice. Jake. Jake, are you okay? You need to get up. I need to know you're okay. I try to speak, but my throat is desert dry, a vacuum. I clear my throat and try to work up a little saliva to bring my vocal cords back to life. I sound croaky, but eventually can speak. Um, okay, fine. Well, not really fine, but alive, I guess. What the hell happened? I gingerly pick myself up. I sway a little, unsure on my feet. Monica is there in a second, supporting me. It helps in a lot of ways. I look up and around and feel lost, which hasn't happened to me for a while in Ostium. Where the hell are we? Well, honey, you must have hit your head pretty bad. We're in Ostium, dear. I feel an angry frown start forming and look at Monica. Her expression explains it all. (laughs) Fucking hilarious, dear. Well, the story is, I regained consciousness about ten minutes ago got my bearings, and then started working on bringing you back into the land of the living. What exactly were you dreaming about? Um, so that's the story, and you're sticking to it? Yep, I'm sticking to it. Okay, I say, looking around and still trying to get my bearings. Then I spot the water tower, which works as a great mental sea anchor, steering me straight. I look southwest and can see the reaching clock steeple in the distance. I add it to my mental map. Then I remember that I've got another kind of mental map and bring up the infrared display. Yep, just as I thought. And a chill slithers down my spine, making me visibly shiver. What's wrong? The crack is gone. Monica's eyes widen, then widen some more, seeming to defy the contours of her face. Holy fucking shit. She just stares at the ground, and I along with her. Minutes pass. What does this mean? I take my time, thinking. Then thinking some more. I don't know. I guess it means the ostium has changed again. For the good? For the bad? Who knows? That giant crack opening up like a hellmouth wasn't exactly good news. But it led us to the door with that infinity symbol. Monica's looking at me. Her eyes no longer wide, but more... Is that amused? Is that a Buffy reference? I'm silent, not expecting that. You damn well bet it was, I say, a smile lighting up my face. It's infectious, and soon we're both smiling at each other. Ah, come on. Let's go take yet another gander at that map table and see if it has any new info for us. Monica nods and we start walking toward the clock tower side by side, enjoying a comfortable silence between us.
Back at HQ, it's just as I feared, or predicted. I'm not sure if a giant crack opening up in the town where you currently live suddenly disappears as the ground is re-knit anew is something to be necessarily scared of. A place where weird shit happens would be the motto on the Welcome to Ostium sign if there was one. But I'm definitely not indifferent about it. It's just more proof that Ostium can do whatever the hell it wants. The map table is a new piece of wood, cleanly carved and varnished once more, no sign of the jagged crack anywhere. There's also no sign of the hidden door with the infinity symbol, which I'm totally fine with. A lot of heavy shit happened on the other side of that door, shit I'd just as soon rather forget. But no, I won't. There's also a couple of good memories from that place, Monica being a veritable pillar of physical support. Inadvertently, I look at her. She's looking back at me. Are we sharing the same thought? The same memory? I sure hope so. There's a hint of a smile on her face. She breaks the connection, looking back down at the map table. A frown forms on her forehead. Something isn't right. Something's wrong with the edge. I look down, wondering what she's talking about, and see it right away. How did I not catch that? Did it just happen? The border of the map table has changed. Instead of four straight even sides, they're jagged, uneven, and not uniform. As if the wood was ripped apart, torn off. Something random. That's not all. Take a look at the numbers. I feel a heavy dread take root in my chest before I even start looking. The numbers are... changed. My eyes automatically go to the number one. That's always my starting point. The clock tower is still numero uno. No change there. But that's where things get weird. I'm searching all over the map table, and I can't find a 2, or a 3, or a 4. I see a 12, a 13, 56, 89, 145, 268, 301. What the fuck? What the fuck indeed? What are we going to do? What does it mean? We've just asked each other impossible questions. They might as well be rhetorical. We both realize that right away. I want to go to the gate. Why? And then I realize, Monica nods her head in the direction of the gate, my cue. What are we going to find when we reach it? When we reach the border to Ostium? I prepare myself on the way. I don't know what I'm going to find. Maybe no change at all but I'm open for the possibility of something, something different, possibly something very different. When we get there, it's beyond words, but I need to tell you, in case we never make it out of here, especially since where I'm standing, I can see my car is long gone, and I no longer have any idea how we're ever going to get home. Everything beyond the gate is gone? Everything beyond the gate is gone. We're about 20 feet away, and for the moment, we're not going a single step further. From what I can see, there's the gate and maybe a generous foot of earth or terrain, reality existing beyond it, and then it just ends. It's dark, but not the blackness. God, I hope it's not the blackness. No. 
It's lighter than that, isn't it? We're looking between the bars of the gate, and there's not exactly a ton of width and space between each rung. It looks black with hints of other colors, streaks and flashes. But I've got to know. I take two steps forward, and I feel a hand clamp around my bicep so hard it hurts. I turn to her. She's just shaking her head side to side. I've got to know. Why... I've got to know if it's the blackness. I've got to know for myself. She opens her mouth as if to respond, to demand that I stop fucking moving this instant, that I stay exactly where I am. But nothing comes out. I see the resignation in her eyes as she slowly lets me go. You stay. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm not fucking moving. I walk slowly, ever so slowly. Once Monica's out of the corner of my eyesight, I feel alone, like that first time in Roanoke, the first time on the Mary Celeste, and the first time on Mars. Like there's only me, Ostium, and the big bad universe. And at the moment, the universe is looking pretty fucking black and doom and gloomy. I'm taking deep breaths, trying to keep my heart rate under some sort of control. All this Ostium-related stress can't be good for the old ticker. When I close within the five-foot range, my auditory nerves pick up the barest hint of sound. And yes, it starts with a cruh and ends with ackle. My eyes and mind continue to hope, while my hearing and heart have already assumed the worst, but not accepted it by any means. I reach the bars, looking between two, and can see oh so much clearer now. It is all black, a consuming night that will never end and keeps on coming. A night terror you can never escape. The crackling is easier to hear now, but the sound is still dampened. Whatever the magic-slash-science ways and laws of Ostium are, this iron gate is apparently much greater than just a form of ingress-slash-egress. This isn't your regular Ostium, with a lowercase o, if you catch my meaning. It is the blackness, undoubtedly. But it's also a little bit different. This blackness isn't moving at least not towards Ostium. It encompasses everything I can see beyond the borders of Ostium. And while I pick up hints and inclinations of the swirling movement in that darkness, it never encroaches further than the very edge of the boundary with Ostium. I do see streaks, pinpricks, and minute flashes of color all over, but I'm not certain if this is something physically happening or just a result of my staring at the blackness constantly and my retinas sending fake signals to my optic nerves like burning after images. This particular blackness is not as seemingly malevolent as the blackness we've seen on the other side of the doors in Ostium, but is by no means tame or innocuous. I get the sense that if I were able to get the gate open and step beyond the bounds of Ostium, that blackness would send out tentacles and snaring me and suck me into its maw in an instant. I look down at the center of the gate and see a shiny, solid hexagonal padlock on the outside. It's locked tight, so if for some insane reason I had wanted to try to open the gate, it wouldn't be likely to happen. I feel I've gotten all I can from this viewpoint, and I'm happy to put distance between me and the blackness. I walk back to Monica quickly. Her eyes haven't left me the entire time, and I can see a minor shaking in her form. Unsurprisingly, she's just as fucking terrified of all this as I am. 
I reach her, and I'm not sure if it's something I pick up on in her eyes or body language or just something I need right now, but I reach out, and then we're in each other's arms, holding on tight for dear life. Is it? Yes. But we're safe as long as we stay in Ostium. We break apart, and our arms drop to our sides. So any idea on what we do now? Monica runs her hands through her curly hair, getting herself together. I need to know. You probably do too. We need to know if this blackness is everywhere, if it's around all of Ostium. Once we have that answer, we'll know some definite things. Like what? I don't want to say yet. Not until we know for sure. So how do we know for sure? A smile forms on Monica's face. A small, warm light in all this bleakness. We go on a field trip. An adventure. You'd probably call it a mission. Oh, really? What do you have in mind? Let's just call it Operation Water Tower. We're at the water tower and it feels awesome in multiple senses of the word. Awesome as in great in size and overpowering and looming, but also awesome as in fucking kick-ass. I guess the only kind of sad thing about it is that there's really just Monica and me to appreciate it. But we certainly do. I hadn't been this close to it before, and from the looks on Monica's face, she hasn't either. I'm sure it was in our minds to come on over and check it out, but it's quite a trek from the clock tower. Plus, we've had a few hundred things going on since we set foot in Ostium that have been distracting us. It's got the presence of some mechanical giant from the future, with its four sturdy legs supporting it. You know, War of the world style. In the middle is a smaller, thinner leg with a ladder going up, leading all the way to the small hatch-like door in the underside of the water tower. The number 69 is clearly visible on the door. I wonder again, if and when we get to opening this particular door, whether on the other side will be the familiar blackness or a torrent of water pouring in my face. That makes me think about the other big issue Monica spotted with the map table and how all the numbers are messed up now. But, one ostium-sized problem at a time. Monica gets whatever signal she's apparently been waiting for and starts climbing up the ladder. I look up to the top and wonder what exactly the plan's going to be once we get up there. But Monica's already pulling pretty far ahead, and I don't want to get left behind. I'm soon climbing up the ladder like I've been doing this all my life, but giving Monica enough space to not feel cramped. It doesn't take us long to run out of ladder, and while I wait for Monica to figure out what to do next, I take a look around. A gander at Ostium from this higher view. Man, this place is really big. And seeing all those doors out there on the open grassland, it's pretty fucking weird. Like some crazy graveyard for doors, or like a wacko cemetery where instead of tombstones, you get buried in your coffin in a hole and a door put on top of your grave like you could be welcomed back to the world of the living at any moment. Man, that's downright weird, even for me. Sounds like a Monty Python sketch. Okay, time to focus, Jake. I look and watch Monica because she's started doing something. Holding onto a rung with one hand, Monica reaches out with her other around the door, running her hand over the surface of the underside of the water tower, 
like she's looking for something. What? I don't know. It's white and smooth, unblemished. There's nothing to be found from what I can see. Then her hand sort of disappears for a moment. No, it sinks into the surface of the water tower? What the hell? Monica's not that shocked, almost like she's done this before. I question her about it. Didn't I tell you about my early times in Ostium? When I was looking around? When I got into the clock tower? Uh, no. Sorry, hun. I thought I had. Weird. I did a damn recording about it. Well, I guess I should check out all your recordings. Well, duh. Of course. Because they're awesome and will help you learn stuff. In that case, you're going to be pretty fucking impressed with what I'm doing next. Just watch and learn. Monica folds her legs over the top rung of the ladder to get a better angle, and then lets go of the ladder with her other hand. She reaches out to a spot a couple feet away from the hand that's semi-submerged into the water tower. She finds what she's looking for, and this hand now submerges. It becomes hazy, sort of like uh, Marty McFly's hand in Back to the Future. I really hope it's not for the same reasons. <laughs> We're really fucked. Then... I realize what they are. Handholds. Invisible handholds on the side of the water tower. Monica pulls herself up until she's supporting her body with the two handholds, while her feet stand on the top rung of the ladder. Then the right hand detaches and searches for another secret handhold. There it is. Then the left hand does the same for its side and it finds the next handhold. Now the real impressive move happens. Monica steps off the ladder, putting one foot at a time into the handholds that also work as footholds. Like her hands, her feet disappear a little. She's now basically hanging upside down, her back to the ground of Ostium far, far below. She's straining a little, but seems fine. Monica starts moving up the side of the water tower. The longer she's at it, the faster she gets. Soon she's crawling up the side and disappearing from view. That's my cue to follow in our footsteps, and hand steps, or handholds, or whatever. <laughs> Great. This should be real fun. I ignore my growing fear and just focus on getting this done. Gotta show Monica I'm made of the same stuff she is, <laughs> even though I'm not. My hands find the handholds, and it feels like a kind of magic. <laughs> yeah, cue the Queen song. I actually start playing it in my head and singing along. It even helps a little. It definitely gets a lot more scary when I'm just hanging there by my hands and feet, feeling gravity trying to conduct its equation of force equal to my mass times the acceleration due to itself and pull me to the ground real fast. I make myself not look down, just focusing on finding the next handhold, and I get through it. I climb up the side of the water tower feeling like motherfucking Spider-Man, but I don't give myself time to enjoy it because I'll just screw it up and end up killing myself. At the top of the water tower, in addition to a beaming Monica, is a little platform and railing, just enough room for the both of us to stand up there and not be quite touching. What do you think? Monica asks once I've caught my breath and made myself stop shaking. Holy shit. I look around and take in the great expanse that is Ostium. I can see wall to wall in all four cardinal directions. All the buildings, 
the reaching superiority of the clock tower, and the wide open space of greenery with its many doors at all angles and directions. And then I look beyond the walls of Ostium. Holy shit. The blackness is there. The blackness is fucking everywhere. What I saw through the gate wasn't a small contained portion of the blackness. Not that I ever really thought it was. But from this height and vista, I can see it. All-encompassing. Omnipresent. I turn a slow circle, making sure I keep a solid grip on the railing. Losing my balance up here would be a sure recipe for disaster. My statement remains true and holds to its belief. The black really is everywhere except Ostium. I turn to Monica. Is this what you didn't want to tell me? Just a nod from her. You wanted... You needed to make sure first? To be absolutely certain? Another nod. I look at the blackness again and I feel myself start to tremble. I wonder how I'm going to be able to get back down onto the solid ground of Ostium, shaking like this. I don't know if I can do it. So, what does this mean for Ostium? For us? Monica takes her time. Whatever she's about to tell me is going to be big. But I don't really know what else she can tell me that I can't process and comprehend with my own two eyes. But then she speaks and I find myself collapsing to the floor of the platform. Ostium has become untethered. It's no longer connected to the real world. I understand the words, but it's going to take my brain and my heart and my soul a long moment to process and comprehend them. Then I do. So that's it then? The earthquake happened? Then it unhappened somehow? In the process, Ostium was severed from our world and now it's adrift in the blackness? In time and space? In nowhere? That's about the gist of it. What? <laughs> Which means it's the end of Ostium, and therefore the end of us. Monica looks at me in surprise and then laughs. Au contraire, mon frère. Ostium is not over by any means, and neither are we. This is just the beginning. I look up at her and I feel now that my cheeks are wet. I've been crying. Again. Crying a lot today, apparently. But in her eyes, I see something new. A spark. I believe it's hope. She holds out a beckoning hand. I grasp it and she pulls me up. I make sure to hold the railing with my other hand. Don't want us both going over the side. Ostia may be untethered. The town, along with us may be disconnected from the world, but I know something. Actually, a lot of somethings. Hundreds of somethings that aren't. What would that... Oh, the doors. Yes, those doors of Ostium connecting this town to other worlds, other places in time, and, more importantly, to our world. And maybe on the other side of one of those doors is Steve. I don't expect this, and I find myself shocked to hear it probably a bit of jealousy slipping in. You still think he's alive behind one of those doors? I thought, after Richard and the data pad and all that, you kind of accepted that it was all over, 
Nope. With what's happened to us? Fuck. With what's just happened today and the way things are now, the state of things. Yet we're still alive and kicking. I don't know. He could be dead. They could all be dead and gone, but there's only one way to find out. We keep going through the doors of Ostium. Getting back down onto the solid ground turns out to not be too hard, with Monica's help. I stay close and watch her every step and hand movement and copy it to a T. The last step onto the grass of Ostium feels like stepping onto a little piece of heaven. Then we make the longish walk back to the clock tower, not really talking about anything, just thinking over everything that's happened so far, just since we got back through the strange door with the infinity symbol, which is now buried under more than a hundred feet of Ostium Earth. When we're about a minute from reaching our destination, and I'm sure Monica's got her mind fixated on a giant mug of strong tea, I have a bad thought. A terrible, awful, horrible thought. I turn to Monica. What about the internet? What about the internet? If Ostium's become untethered, does that mean that the internet's gone? I... I don't know. The look on her face is nothing like the mask of the Red Death I'm wearing on mine. I start running. I know, I know. It's not like we might be cut off from water or food or air. But the internet's a big deal. You know that. And right now, it's one of our lifelines to the world. Technically, it's the only line of communication we've got. And if that's gone, then it might be the end of everything. Yeah, for you quick thinkers, if you're listening to this, you know that the internet must still be alive and well when I make it to the clock tower. I also have a new email from Dave, my online friend that I've been chatting with from London. He's been doing his bit to spread the word about Ostium and come up with ideas about what could possibly be going on here. I'm not too worried with what he's doing. It's not like I gave him the exact location of the town of no population to broadcast online. And the conversation he's been having with his listeners has been pretty interesting. The last time I was in contact with him, he was dealing with the literal fallout of the radiation clouds sweeping over Europe. I invited him, if he could somehow swing it, to come to the U.S., to California, and to Ostium, if he could find it. I gave him specific directions, and I made it clear only he was to know and use them and not to tell anyone else about them. I know, it was taking a bit of a risk there but I felt it was worth it. He ends the email saying that he made it. He found Ostium. But there was one of those strange hexagonal padlocks on the gate. Fortunately, it pops open and he goes inside and doesn't find us, which isn't really that surprising given the whole untethering thing in our current predicament. Nevertheless, he still found Ostium or an ostium in this case. Just not this ostium. I can't believe he found ostium, I say aloud. Can't believe who found ostium? Um, I make it a long word, something almost alive, as I'm stalling for what to say. I haven't told Monica a thing about Dave and his enigmatic mysteries of the unknown. 
partly because it never really occurred to me to talk to her about him. I mean, I never thought in my wildest dreams he'd be coming to Ostium, you know, until like a day or two ago. And partly because I kind of know I should have told her a whole long time ago, and uh, I didn't, and now I feel bad about it. And now I don't have a choice. I can feel her eyes on me. She's not going to let me just stall indefinitely. We've been on this merry-go-round before, and Monica isn't exactly the sort of person who takes any shit from anyone, even me. Who the hell are you talking about, Jake? I turn to face her, and it feels like I did something bad, because I did. And I'm about to be punished and scolded by a parent or teacher, because I deserve to. I breathe deep, and I start talking. I'm talking about Dave. He's a uh, British guy who runs a podcast called Enigmatic Mysteries of the Unknown. And how does he know about Ostium? Because he found my recordings about Ostium, and uh, he made his own podcast about it. And? Well, he's been uh, talking with his listeners about what's been going on here with me and you and uh, the doors and everything. He came up with his theories and he got some ideas from his listeners as well. And how many listeners are we talking about? I, um, I don't know. He never, uh, he never told me. Lots, I, I think. He never told you? Um, yeah. He emailed me and uh, I emailed him back and we've been kind of having this back and forth conversation going on. About Ostium? Yeah. There's a cold silence now, and I feel like if either of us moves, there's going to be the sound of ice cracking and breaking. I don't know what the hell to say next, so I just wait. Probably not the best move on my part, but I'm not known for strategic tact with people, and especially not with the opposite sex. I don't know, Jake. I just feel there's something you're not fucking telling me. I take another breath. It feels like I'm not breathing right. Am I breathing right? And let's not get started on my heart rate, which is suddenly through the roof. And I'm seriously being avoiding right now. He was scared. Dave was terrified of the radiation cloud. He needed a way out, an escape. And I told him he could come to Ostium. You what? I told him he could come here. Just him. No one else. You told him how to get here? Of course I did. I gave him exact directions. Because he knows stuff. Important stuff about Ostium. So fucking what? He's like us. How the fuck can you possibly know that? You barely know the fucking guy. A couple emails and your long lost fucking Ostium soulmates. Is that it? Yes, yes, that's fucking it. He's another person out there who knows and understands Ostium. This is before I even knew you existed. So what does that make me? Chop fucking liver? That stops me. She's right. That was too far. No, of course not. You're much more than that. But he needed a way out and I gave him one. And now he's found Ostium. So where the fuck is he then? He said he's at another Ostium because this one is fucking untethered. What the fuck does that mean? I don't fucking know. Why are you yelling at me? Because you lied to me. You said we weren't going to keep secrets, and you did. 
Why are you yelling at me? Because you didn't tell me about the men that you sent through the door to die. Silence. Longer this time. But perhaps not as cold. It's different. I'm sorry, Monica. I, I'm sorry I didn't tell you about Dave. Apology accepted, Jake. And I'm sorry, again, for not telling you sooner about what I did to those men. Thank you. Apology accepted, too. He said he's in a different ostium. Yeah, those were his words. He said when he found ostium, there was a hexagonal padlock on the gate, but it popped open when he pulled on it. Then he went inside and he looked around. He found the clock tower and he was all ready to meet us inside with open arms. And we weren't there. Right. And that's all I've heard from him so far. Have you checked to see if the internet's working properly? No. Shit. I totally forgot. I grab my iPad again and open up the browser, plugging in Google and wait. Nothing loads. Oh, shit. I try Twitter, Facebook, even Yahoo. Nothing. And it's not like there's a 404 message or anything. It's just a blank page. I check my Wi-Fi connection and see it's connected and working fine. I even pull out my phone and check the Wi-Finding app, which also shows a strong signal strength. So it looks like the Wi-Fi is working and we're connected to the internet at our end, but it doesn't lead to any World Wide Web. Great. Monica's been looking over my shoulder and seeing all this. So we're pretty much fucked as far as the internet goes. This really isn't good. What about all those catastrophic events we saw on the screens? Did they all really happen? We checked, didn't we? Yes, but that was in there. How do I know my phone works fine on the other side of a door in Ostium? You don't. Exactly. I know the power plant meltdown was real because I read about it here. Or not really here, because here isn't really here anymore. It's somewhere else, but back at my old place, which isn't really my place anymore. Back on fucking planet Earth. But the other stories, the Ebola outbreak, the earthquakes and tsunamis, the oil spill, did they all really happen? Monica rubs her face and takes a deep breath at the same time. I don't know, Jake. I just don't know. What do you want me to tell you? That everything is fine. Everything is fine. Here, in Ostium, right now. There's you, and there's me. We're alive and well. We have a roof over our heads. We have a place to sleep. We have food to eat and water to drink. We're fine right now. Okay. I must have not put much meaning into it or had some crazy look in my eyes because Monica keeps watching me, like she's trying to see into my soul. Okay, come here. I know what you need. She's holding out her arms, welcoming me. I'm not sure what she's doing, but I step closer to her, and then she wraps her arms around me, laying her head on my chest. My arms automatically go around her shoulders. We hug each other tight and stay that way for a good 30 seconds. It feels really great. Then we finally separate. Okay, time for a strong fucking cup of tea. You want one? I give her one of my beaming smiles. What do you think? She nods and heads into the kitchen. I go back to the iPad, closing the browser window. I pull up my email inbox again and have an idea. I look at when Dave sent the email. According to the app, the email was sent 35 minutes ago. That was after we came back through the door with the infinity symbol on it. 
That was after the big crack across the town closed up and disappeared. That was after Ostium became untethered from the third rock from the sun and began spinning indeterminately across space and time. Which means something really important. While there isn't any World Wide Web access, there is apparently some form of email. At least with Dave. He can email me, and perhaps I can email him. I also have this very strong feeling not to tell Monica this. I don't know why. I don't know where it comes from, but something deep inside my chest tells me, and I'm going to listen to it. Great, Jake. Another wonderful start to not keeping any secrets from possibly the only other person in the universe. I can't fucking believe him. Goddamn Jake. God damn it, Jake. He told that guy about Ostium. Everything. What the fuck? Then he told him where the hell it is. And he fucking found it. He even talked about how there's fucking music written to his recordings now. And even goddamn merchandise. Unfucking believable. Fortunately. Because of the whole untethering thing, it's a different ostium. Somehow. Don't, I don't really get that. At least not now. Not at the moment. But it works in this case. For now. I just, I just don't get what possessed his tiny little mind. <sighs> okay, Monica. Let's keep it together here. Let's get something out of this. Make some fucking catharsis happen. I need it after today. Okay, so, dear diary, I'm talking to you and recording it because I need a saner voice to talk to and listen to. So Jake's probably going to spin it as something we discussed and came to a consensus on, but I pretty much just told his ass how it's going to be. What with Ostium being somehow linked with Jake, which I still totally don't get. But every door we go through, there's just more proof. It can't be denied. So from now on, I said, Jake can do what the fuck he wants with his recordings going over our daily trips through the doors. It's all tied to him, and he's the one who always seems to know way too much about what's going on, while little old me is left in the dark. Yeah, right. I don't know everything. Not at all. But I know some things. Some very important things. 
So I told Jake he can just go ahead and do his thing. We don't need to take turns like he suggested, even though it was kind of nice of him to offer. He can use his big fancy vocab and go wild. I said I wouldn't be doing any recordings. (laughs) And here I am, doing a recording. But that's because I got a reason. That catharsis thing. In Ostium, I've only got one other guy to talk to, and I can't really trust him anymore. Not with what I know. But I still gotta bounce ideas off of someone, or something. Somehow. So I'll do these recordings when Jake's not around, or sleeping like he is now. I need to do these recordings, because I can't lose my shit. Not over Jake, and not in front of Jake, because he's the fucking key to all of this. It's why I made up that whole recording originally. I... I need to show I'm together in front of him. Because without him, I can't get through those doors. Not on my own. And I need to. I need to. To find Steve. I know he's alive. I know he's still out there. Somewhere. On the other side of one of those doors... I heard him. His voice. He said my name. He knows I'm here looking for him. So he knows he's got to do whatever he needs to, to keep going, to stay alive, so I can find him and get him back. I know I can do it. And I know he knows I can do it. I got to believe in myself. Another reason I need these recordings. For me. Jake's never going to hear them. No one else is. Well, maybe Steve. One day, when I eventually find him, I might let him hear what I went through. How I never gave up. It's important for me to... No, no, no. no. What is that? Is that Jake? No, no, no. Is he still asleep? Please stop. I think he's having a nightmare. No. I guess I better go rescue his ass yet again. No. So he still thinks I'm on his side. Stop. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. 
Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you have no idea where it's going? Well, I know it's all of those subscriptions. I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on and I had them cancel the ones I didn't want anymore. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash pod24. That's rocketmoney.com slash pod24. rocketmoney.com slash pod24. I open my eyes and immediately feel Monica's hand on my shoulders. She's shaking me. Normally having Monica be this close, touching me, would make my day, but these aren't normal times. She explains I was having a nightmare, crying out in my sleep like some little kid. She doesn't say this, she's not that cruel, but my brain is automatically completing the sentence, filling in my inadequacies. It makes me feel less than awesome. I let her know I appreciate the attention and help, looking directly into her eyes. I haven't forgotten that kiss and won't be anytime soon. She goes into the kitchen to make some tea and prepare some breakfast, telling me from afar that I'd been mumbling about tsunamis and Ebola. Seeing those clones and what was on those screens has done a number on me. It's done a number on her, too. She's actually surprised it's not me waking her up in the middle of a nightmare. It makes me smile, but inside I know this is just something said to placate my nerves. And it's working. A little bit. But those weren't clones of Monica. I was the intended viewer of those screens. I was the focus of that whole door. That Ostium had created. For me. After a wholesome breakfast, we're in the map room, staring at that woodwork of art. I still can't really believe there was a crack in it just yesterday, right down the middle, as if someone had taken a giant serrated axe to it a few times. And now, it's miraculously repaired, healed, like a wound, a wound that won't hurt anymore. I guess in time we'll see. But getting back to the map table, it's different, again. As we noticed before, the numbers have changed. It's even more random now, if that's possible. The lowest number is 12. The highest is, what the fuck, 401? It just doesn't make any sense. And from the look on Monica's face, she's the same sentiment. Not that it really did before, but we were on a roll, sort of a numerical roll, if you will, until the whole earthquake thing and then the infinity symbol. And now it gives a whole new meaning to the term random. So what the hell are we going to do now? I asked Monica this question, but her looks are continuing to mirror mine and it would just be redundant. Or she'd make a snide comment that would make me laugh. Okay, coulda, woulda, shoulda. What the hell are we going to do now? Follow me, that's what I tell Monica. And the look she gives me is something to the effect of, what the fuck did you just tell me to do? I immediately apologize and follow it up with, please, I have an idea. That's enough to convince us and we're on our way. Outside the clock tower, it's another beautiful sunny day in the quaint town of Ostium. 
Well, at least to the extent of a town that's untethered and aimlessly drifting through space and time. So, darkness all around, pretty much. And it's then that I realize the conundrum. Or is that the new paradox of Ostium? There's no big shining ball in the sky to give Ostium light. Nor is there some lunar orb having sunlight reflecting off of it and casting a cold whiteness over everything. But somehow, there's still light in Ostium. Somehow. There are no streetlights or anything of that sort. And yet I'm standing outside, and it's bright and clear as day. And I can still see the blackness out there. But that's not helping me focus, which is what I need right now. I asked Monica to bear with me. I closed my eyes and put my fingers on my temples, applying a little pressure. Yep, part of me goes way back to that Starbucks parking lot when I was first trying to find Ostium. It was sense, that strange ability that suddenly possessed me, which I'm attempting to channel now. I've already tried the mental infrared Ostium map, but no numbers, no doors are lighting up telling me where to go. I'm on my own. But then, Ostium never liked making things easy, did it? And there it is, a slight mental tugging, like someone had just flicked my pineal gland. Okay, granted, that's a little weird, but you get the idea. Like before, I open my eyes and see a building before me with a door. And that door is the number 24. But it's not our next door. I start walking down a street and Monica follows. She can tell the quasi-trance state I'm in. She probably doesn't understand it, just like I don't. But she's going along with it. quick tangent here. You may have noticed me pretty much doing this recording solo, telling you what Monica said rather than actually hearing her. Monica and I talked about it, and we decided that I'd be doing the recordings from now on due to my mysterious and um, undeniable connection to Ostium. I'm starting to feel like there's this invisible umbilical between me and this town, whether it's attached to my belly button or head or heart. I don't know. But long, winding, directionless story short, I'm going to be the lead and main and pretty much only reporter on the Ostium scene. Monica wants to take a step back, remove herself from the recordings. She feels she has little to offer, which I disagree with, but uh, I'll respect her wishes. I think she might just need some space. This is her way of creating some distance between herself and Ostium, and possibly me too. Maybe she'll do her own private recordings as a sort of ongoing diary thing. I don't know. She said she's not going to, but doing this might also help me, or us, to understand what's going on with Ostium and why I'm particularly connected with it. Since it's just me running the show now, so to speak. (laughs) Basically, Jake's special. He doesn't know why, and uh, maybe having Jake being the main reporter, recorder, and chronicler will help solve this somehow. I don't know. We'll see. Now on with the regularly televised episode of The Ostium Show. The door I stop at on one of the streets of Ostium is number 45. Nothing apparently significant about this door and this number 
except that my ostium sense is telling me that this is where the next part of our journey through the doors of ostium begins. I tell Monica this, and she nods. I then say, ladies first. No fucking way. I laugh and turn the handle and push open the door and step into darkness, like always. It stays dark for a while, and just when I start to wonder if I've gone blind, light starts to filter in as my eyes acclimate to the enclosed space. We're surrounded by rock on all sides, it seems. I turn around slowly to find Monica doing the same thing, and we both see the source of the light at the same time. We're in a long cave made of rock. Monica starts heading toward the light, and I follow, wondering if we're going to find some version of an afterlife on the other side. Well, if this is the afterlife, then sign me up. It's a big, beautiful landscape. Trees and rock formations and grassland and a giant open blue sky with a big shining sun casting a comforting heat. feels glorious. I didn't realize how much I had missed the sun until I saw it again. My brain starts considering if I'm going to be getting my recommended daily dose of vitamin D via solar exposure and ostium now that it lacks a star, but I ignore it. It's a very minor concern at this point. Thanks once again, Brain. It's absolutely gorgeous here. Paradise. I'm in total agreement, but I follow up with how this isn't what we're here for. As beautiful as it all is, I can sense where the artifact for this door is located, and it's not anywhere outside. It's back in the cave, I tell her. She's not too happy. <laughs> I'm not either. I'd much rather soak up the sun and enjoy the outside. But Ostium has other ideas. She asks about the blackness. I tell her I'm keeping it at bay for the moment. I lead the way back into the cave, and we've soon passed the open door leading back to Ostium. On this side, the door is more like a fake piece of rock that is detached and swung open from the wall. No visible hinges or attachments, just kind of hanging there, open. It's pretty cool. As we continue into the cave, the light dims a little, but not too much, so we can still see just fine. That initial darkness was more about our eyes getting used to this lower light environment. I look around, searching for any items, any artifacts, trying to get a sense of what this place is, why we're here, and what significance it has with me. I'm coming through this door and into this place with a whole new paradigm this time, if you will. I know it's going to have something to do with Ostium and with me. I know there's going to be a connection, and it changes my whole approach. It's kind of like when archaeologists and paleontologists and anthropologists are doing their thing, digging up old bones and whatnot. Of course, if you're digging up a bone, chances are it's pretty old, unless it's something your dog buried a few hours ago. But uh, anyway, when scientists start digging in the ground, everything's striated, meaning it's all about layers, and the deeper you dig, the older the stuff gets. So at certain levels, archaeologists expect to find fossils and artifacts from a specific period or a range of time. Uh, where is that going with this? Oh yeah, but a year or two ago, scientists tried a whole new approach when starting a dig, basically being more open-minded to what they were looking for. 
So instead of thinking that they were going to find, say, fossils of Homo erectus and only that, they were looking for anything that might have something to do with fossils, and in so doing, discovered more artifacts and bits of fossils and pieces of whatever they wouldn't have necessarily noticed if their focus had just been on finding Homo erectus bones. I'm sure there's some mathematical statistics and probability that can be used and applied to reveal how you're going to find more useful stuff, even if it's not useful stuff you were originally planning to find, if you apply this method. Bringing this very long, off-topic monologue back to Ostium. Sorry, I didn't mean to go on for that long, but there is a point, trust me. So, just as these scientists applied a new paradigm to their archaeological dig, I'm applying a new approach to going through a door in Ostium and its inevitable connection to me. And now that I've talked for way too long about archaeology and bones, I'm thinking there's a significance to my brain dredging it up and being in this place. Excavating the resonance, if you will. This is a cave, after all. And what do you sometimes find in caves? Bones. Yep, now that I'm thinking about it, this definitely has a fossil feel to it. Come on, I haven't made with the wisecracks in, well, at least five minutes. And uh, that's when I see the first skull. It's like it's staring right at me. Well, I guess it technically is. And if it still had eyes and muscles and skin and a face, the person would probably be looking at me and have some sort of reaction. It's bone white, obviously, and long dead. I hold out my arm to stop Monica, and she soon sees what my gaze is fixed upon. The cave tunnel is opened up into a sort of alcove. It's hard to see anything, but I just get the sense of more space now. Our breathing is more... echoey. The skull appears to be sitting on some sort of pedestal. It seems big, almost abnormally large. I think Neanderthal. But it seems almost bigger than that. Also, I'm not exactly able to recognize a Neanderthal skull as soon as I see one. Below, it looks to be a dark hole. Monica shoots me a what-the-fuck look in a way that only Monica can. I shrug my shoulders. I don't know exactly what it is and what the deal is with this setup. And then in the far back of my mind, I feel a twinge of something. Just like I felt when I was on Roanoke and the Mary Celeste. And this time, I'm not going to ignore it. Something is pinging with me. I've picked up on something and it's connected with a memory of mine in some way. So, what is it? What's special about this place? There's not a lot of light in here, so I take out my phone and I turn on the flashlight. Good idea. Monica says, quickly doing the same with her phone, and soon this end of the cave is basked in an impressive amount of light. Holy shit! Monica just covers her mouth. The skull in front of us wasn't the only one. There were rows of them along the wall, each with their own intricately carved pedestal. Skulls are all different, too. Minute variations in shape and size, but all clearly human. All of a sudden, it feels like a crowded room. A crowded room of the dead. And I know what this place is. 
where we are. Monica recognizes the look on my face, understanding. Fucking enlighten me, Mr. Fisher. And I tell her that we are in a cave of a skull cult. The cave was discovered five years ago in South Africa, about three hours northwest of Johannesburg, by prospectors looking for potential places to mine raw materials. They started digging and then found this opening to a long cave. It was pretty much all filled in, so they notified the authorities who notified a bunch of different people. Less than a year later, an archaeology group from Germany arrived and began excavating. The first six months were spent getting rid of dirt and sand and rock to clear out the cave. Some of it was attributed to the passage of time with weather, rock slides, animals, but not all of it. The archaeologists worked out for that amount of material to be inside the cave. At some point, someone, or more likely a significant group of someones, chose to fill it in and hide the cave from the rest of the world. And this was before they found any bones, before they got to the skulls. After a year, they made it to the alcove that they eventually dubbed the anteroom. You'll find out why when I get to that part. That's when they found the first skull. Then the next one. And the next one. And they kept going. Eventually, the anteroom was completely excavated, and they found 45 of them. You're shitting me. No, I shit you not. There are 22 skulls on each wall. Each skull bears a unique identifying mark, a perfect hole about the size of a quarter carved into the top of the skull, perfectly round. The skulls were eventually dated to between 28,000 and 30,000 years old. They don't know how those holes were drilled into the skulls and made to look so perfect. As for the layout of the skulls, there are four rows on each side, the top two rows with five skulls, the bottom two rows with six skulls done in a sort of wide pyramidal shape. Number 45 is... The one sitting above that hole. Bingo. Where does the hole lead? Let me tell you the rest of the story. The hole isn't very big, which is pretty clear. The hole obviously leads somewhere, but it took a while first for the archaeologists to decide what they were going to do, and then to get volunteers who were small enough to crawl through the hole. They sent out this hilarious request for grad students with a specific height restriction that would be required, and then they had a bunch of applications, and then about two-thirds dropped out once they talked with archaeologists about what they were going to have to do. A group of 15 grad students made it to the dig. Once they saw the hole, 10 of them refused to go, and they headed back to Johannesburg. What it must have been like for those five people to venture into the unknown and enclosed like that. Talk about your Indiana Jones adventures. The hole is actually a small tunnel that leads for over 30 feet. It took two years of digging and excavating, but eventually they made it to the other side. It led to a small room, just five feet high. You couldn't stand up in it, but had to crawl. Another year of painstaking excavation. Grad students left, others came from all over the world. Eventually, they had the room clear. There was a stone pedestal in the center of the tiny room with strange cuts and hatchings that might have been some primitive language or writing or pictography. No one really knows. No one's ever seen anything like this. On the pedestal, there was a single skull, 
It was twice the size of a normal skull. And it was human. They had no clue what the hell it was. At some point in your life, whether you wanted to or not, you've probably seen a horse's skull or a cow's skull, especially when you went through that hipster phase and wanted to do some interior decorating. That's about the size of this skull, but it had all the expected features of the Homo genus. No one, of course, believed it at first. Who would? It was just a handful of grad students squeezing through that very small tunnel. They took photos, which were astounding and still disbelieved. More photos were taken. Eventually, a camera was set up, as well as lighting for absolute proof. Bone samples were taken and tested. It matched the rest of the skulls. It was human. And on top of it, there was another perfectly carved hole. More time passed. The bones, the caves, the dig was scrutinized and studied by many, but nothing equitable had ever been found. The reason the Rosetta Stone is so important is because it has the same message in three languages. It's like a three-language dictionary. This cave and its skulls were unique. They are unique. The carved holes are also unique and mysterious. What do they mean? At the very least, they seem to imply some sort of ritualistic intent, and thus the dig and its skull inhabitants have been dubbed the Skull Cult. Not officially, more colloquially. But it caught on. Sort of. With those in the science who believed. There were plenty of naysayers who called it an aberration, outlier something they really didn't want to become a big deal because it didn't really cast the well-respected and long-standing field of archaeology in a favorable light. That's why it's not so widely known. But I know about it because I have an interest in it in all things anthropological and archaeological. Well, not all things, but many things. I know more than most about Australopithecines, Denisovans, Naledi, and a number of other hominids. You know, just one of my hobbies. It became an obsession, as it does. The look on Monica's face is not one I expected, but once I consider it, it makes sense. I came through this door more open-minded about Ostium than I've ever been before, more willing to accept my connection to it, and it helped. I didn't tell Monica anything about this, but perhaps she's just picked up on it in some way, maybe from my body language or my facial expressions. Either way, she's not shocked. Well, she was when I told her about the giant skull. Really shocked, in fact. But that's to be expected, that I'm able to give her a ten-minute lecture on this place. She's uh, accepting, as am I. This is a good thing. I think it's a move in a healthy direction for Ostium, and for me, and for Monica. And because Ostium's a bitch, the artifact is through that tiny hole that you can just barely fit through, right? I don't bother answering. She knows. I just give her one of my award-winning shit-eating grins. I don't actually know if I can fit through it. My heart started doing a little dance as I prepare myself to climb through. I don't remember exactly what the height requirements were for the grad students to be able to climb through the tunnel, but I'm pretty sure I'm too big. But a part of me also knows that this isn't really a special archaeological site from 
who knows when, about a skull cult. It's something Ostia made. It's something Ostia made for me. When I start crawling into the tunnel, I see it's going to be a real tight fit, but I also know I can make it. I slowly start inching my way along with Monica giving me encouragement. It takes a while, but I eventually make it out the other side, like a Nerf bullet from a Nerf barrel of a Nerf gun. And there's the skull sitting on that pedestal. I can't help but think of that scene from Conan the Barbarian when he finds the skeleton with the sword. You know, I'm just going to stop there. If you're really curious, you can rent the movie from Blockbuster. Well, I mean, watch it on Netflix. Dated myself a little there. It's huge and so unnatural looking, like something from a movie about aliens. It's downright creepy. I walk up to it, and in the top I can see the perfectly round hole. Now, because the skull's twice as big as a normal human skull, the hole is twice as large. But this particular hole still seems too large. Maybe it's more ostium-sized? I'm not surprised when I reach out with my hand and I'm just barely able to fit into the hole. I reach down and feel for something. I find it. It's hard. I pull it out and open my hand. It's a tiny skull, like something for El Dia de los Muertos. Or one of those knick-knack keychain skulls. Of course, in the top of it is a tiny hole. Does this little skull have an even tinier skull within it? Does Ostium have an actual sense of humor? I shake it. There's something minuscule rattling inside. Make that mini-somethings, because those skulls go all the way down, baby. That's just fucking hilarious. It takes me less time to make it back through the tiny hole. I show Monica the latest addition for the map table. She's just as amused as I am. When I make it rattle, she bursts out laughing, making me laugh too. It's been a while since we both did that. Feels good. We make our way back to the door. She steps through first. I follow and stop just before passing through. I take a look back at the humble abode of the skull cult. It's still really gnarly that we came through the door and ended up here. And I'll probably never see it again. Ever. Too bad. I step through closing the door behind me. Back at the clock tower, standing before the map table, we're ready. Four of the golden numbers are gone. One is still there. Two through five are gone. I hold the skull in my hand, feeling it warming up. I shake it, hear the rattling, like I'm getting ready to toss a die. I look underneath the skull suddenly and I see the number 45. Go figure. Then I place it on the corresponding number. This time, a vibrant blue light engulfs the artifact, just as blinding as the white light was. It's over in seconds, the afterimages singed on our retinas. The number 45 is now a rich, ruby-red color, not gold. Okay, then. The map table has moved on from gold to technicolor.
It was another rough night. Monica woke me up again, said this time my crying out was getting pretty loud, verging on screaming. Okay, I'll try to control it. Keep it down in some way. No, Jake, that's not what I meant. You're obviously still going through some heavy shit, so you probably need to do some introspection. You know, get in touch with your inner self or whatever. See what's going on inside and find out what needs to be resolved. See what's eating you up inside, okay? Yeah, thanks, Monica. That definitely helps. It's good to know she's earnest and cares. I mean, I kind of thought this already, and I know she's on my side and everything, but it's good to hear her coming out and saying it and making me feel less like some crybaby who can't deal with it all. And I know I've kind of addressed this already, but this is also the second straight day of not enough sleep and clearly having some deep-seated issues. I'm not ready to fully talk with Monica about it. Yet. I know we weren't supposed to be keeping secrets, but this isn't a secret so much as a personal existential crisis, sort of. Hey, can you tell I haven't had much sleep? I know. It all ties in with the infinity doors, I'm calling it. Seeing those clones of me and the series of catastrophes happening in the world, the fact that we don't seem to have working internet right now and I can't see what's happening on planet Earth is definitely not helping. I think I might have worked it out, too. The internet is sort of working, but only one way. I can't look anything up, I can't receive any emails, and I can't check anything that requires access to the internet. However, the recordings have been uploading just fine, like there's nothing wrong at all. I think I can't send things out, and I can't get anything back either. I was able to send Dave an email today, which went out and appeared in my sent folder. Of course, I don't know if I'll ever know if he received it, because it would require him communicating with me. I guess maybe he could call me. The two problems with this are, one, I think it works the same for the phones as for the internet. I can't call out and I can't receive calls. Plus, I don't have his number and I'm not ready to just randomly try a phone number or call someone I know. And two, he doesn't have my number. Anyway, here's what I said. Hey, Dave. I hope you're receiving this. I don't know because our internet isn't working properly. I think that might have something to do with what's happened. It also possibly explains why you found a different ostium to mine. We've become untethered. I assume you're still keeping up with the recordings, and from my end, they're uploading like usual. So you should be getting them. In which case, you know what I mean about untethered. But I don't get how the internet is sort of working doesn't really make sense, but whatever does an ostium, am I right? For now, we're going to keep going with the usual plan, going through more doors and seeing what we can find. Monica hopes we might find Steve, hopefully alive, on the other side of one of these doors. I don't know. After finding that other guy, dead due to very mysterious and unresolved circumstances, let's just say I don't have high hopes. But other than keeping on, keeping on, I don't know what I personally expect to find with these doors and ostium. I know I'm connected, but I don't know why or how. So we'll just go about it and see what happens. I've not been sleeping well. Having some really bad nightmares, apparently. I don't know. When I wake up, or more accurately, get woken up by Monica, I'm sweaty. My heart's pounding. 
My throat's raw and sore from yelling and apparently screaming, but I don't remember anything about what I was dreaming about. It was probably bad, but I can't recall a single detail. Just pretty disturbing. I'd at least like to have something to go on so I can try to help myself through this, you know? Part of me is also wondering and really concerned. I mean, really concerned. I haven't told Monica about it, and I probably should. I don't know. There just seems to be something inside me saying, don't do it. It's weird, but anyway. What I was trying to say was, I'm concerned with all the terrible stuff happening around the world, and that it might be related to ostium, to going through those doors. That us doing that and bringing back artifacts and putting them in the map table is somehow causing those catastrophic events. I know, it sounds crazy writing it down and reading it, but what if? If all these lives being lost and destroyed is because of me? Man, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. I'd just walk through that gate and drop off the edge, not caring what would happen to me, because it would be all my fault. And what if our continuing to go through the doors is causing more devastation? What if Mount Etna is now erupting? Or the bubonic plague is making a big comeback with a new and incurable strain? It's got me very worried, and I have no way of knowing. I think I really need to talk to Monica about this, get her POV on it, and see what she thinks. Now as for you, I'm honestly not sure what you're going to do, or what you can do for that matter. I guess you could start going through all the doors in order, just like we did, bringing back artifacts, but that seems like it's just going to start you on your own trajectory, and your goal is to somehow find us. I hope that's your goal. That's what I'd like you to try to do. It doesn't seem the right way to go about it. As for an alternate idea, I'll be honest, I've got nothing. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news followed by more bad news, but I wanted to keep you informed and up to date however I can from my end, and hey, I'm hoping you're going to come up with a great idea and start doing it, and before I know, you'll be walking through the front gate, or opening one of the doors here and surprising us, or maybe revealing yourself when we go through one of those doors. So, fingers crossed, man. Talk soon. Jake. There's no point in referencing with the map table anymore to see what our next door is. You'd be better off covering your eyes and stabbing your finger in any old direction and seeing which number you end up with. And yes, if you've ever been, or might still be, a fan of a certain game I once had an affection for called GeoGuessr, a definite possible strategy is to zoom out and just blindly stick the digital pushpin wherever. But I can't. Because I have no internet sad face. Anyway, we're soon ready and out the door, and I do my new agey calling on the spirits of Ostium to tell me where to go next. But I don't hear anything. How strange. I do, however, feel the psychic tugging and follow its magnetic pull, Monica coming up behind me. We're eventually taken to door 90, still in the vicinity of Ostium's CBD, that central business district for you non-geography people. You know, 
downtown, as everyone else calls it. You want to go first this time? Are you going to open it for me? Sure. You know, I'll let you take this one. But I'll be right behind you. We step through, and what immediately hits me is the cold. Damn cold. Like, freeze your ass off cold. We've been pretty lucky so far, in hindsight, having faced favorable conditions and a decent climate each time we've walked through a door. I can only assume Ostium isn't going to dump us in an environment that isn't hospitable for human beings. Like, sticking us on the surface of the planet Venus, which would kill us in a few minutes, doesn't seem in the best interest of Ostium if it has interests, nor is it ours. Temperature and climate, however, humans are a very versatile and resilient species that can eke out a living in almost any environment on Earth. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be fun or comfortable. Wherever we've been taken, it has to be a really far north latitude, or really far south, <laughs> or Hoth, but I'm not seeing any tauntauns. But... While we're clearly in some sort of blizzard, the snow swirling around, but visibility is still decent, it could be a lot worse, a lot more severe. There's a light covering of snow on the ground that crunches underfoot. We're both in pants. Monica, at least, has a sweater on. And wise old me is standing there in a t-shirt. Fan-fucking-tastic. Follow me. And I charge off into the snow looking for some sort of cover. Ideally a nice house or hut with a roaring fire and lots of blankets and maybe some hot chocolate with marshmallows. But that's uh, some really wishful thinking. Hey, if I'm truly connected to Ostium, shouldn't I be able to make stuff like that happen? In hindsight, recording this for the most part after it all happens... Why I don't just say, hang on, Ostium, BRB, and head back to the clock tower for some warmer clothes. I'll never know. Maybe I'm worried if I leave and try to come back, it won't work. But I think that's also just me reading too much into it. So now I'm plowing through falling snow, which, as a Californian who doesn't spend winter holidays in Tahoe or the Sierras, is a refreshingly new and unfun environment to be in. And did I mention cold? The blizzard seems to be getting thicker, which is obviously not good, but I think I see something up ahead, a dark shadow in the swirling white. It's the only physical thing I've seen so far that isn't white. I take it as a good sign and head straight for it. It turns out to be a hut, a little hut, only it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. It looks like a square box on wooden stilts. I immediately have an image of Baba Yaga's house from Slavic folklore that walked around on giant chicken legs. But now, it's the only thing around that might provide shelter. When I reach it, I see a ladder on the other side, run around, begin climbing and dive through the opening. Monica doesn't waste any time joining me. Inside, it's cozy, I guess. I wouldn't call it roomy exactly, and would hope the nightly rate at this motel is at least reasonable. There are animal skins everywhere, piled up, hanging from the wooden frame, and animal furs, <laughs> as opposed to the other kind of furs. 
it makes the inside of the hut feel very insulated, warm and dry, which is exactly what we need right now. It's kind of like being in a closet full of clothing for the Arctic. And then it clicks in our heads at the same time. We grab furs and blankets and wrap them around ourselves and just huddle there for a good five minutes. Monica isn't as bad off as me, and I have at least three layers on. At first, it does nothing, and then I start to thaw and warm up. In my head, I'm focusing on the blackness. It's a distant, almost non-existent thing, which is great. I give Monica the update and am wondering if maybe my ability to control the blackness is getting better, stronger. Eventually, I feel ready to brave the outside world again. Well, not really, but we can't just stay here the whole time. I find some fur boots that actually fit me pretty well. I have a couple of fur cloaks or coats or whatever they are and a fur blanket over everything. You ready? Actually, I'm going to sit this one out. Really? Yeah, I'm really fucking cold. If there's something so goddamn important, you can let me know and drag me out. Sound good? 10-4. And please never fucking say that again. With a smile on my face, I duck under the skin that has been pulled down over the opening and jump down into the snow. It makes a satisfying crunch. I'm really going to have to kick this into high gear. The snow is falling fast now. Visibility is becoming pretty minimal. I'm trying to hone in on my artifact sense and see where it leads me, but the blizzard's definitely affecting my mental vibes. I'm not cold like before, but even with the furs, I'd still rather be in a lot of other places. So I continue walking, kind of aimlessly, hoping for another one of those hut shadows to form in the light. But my eyes keep watering with the cold and the snowflakes, and for like a millisecond after I blink, I can see, and then everything gets blurry again. I stop, pull the fur blanket over my mouth, and take a deep breath so the cold won't freeze the moisture in my lungs. I close my eyes, trying to shut out the white and welcome the black. It helps. A little. I start walking, still with my eyes closed. Kind of crazy, I know. But what's going to happen? Will I get knocked down by a snowflake? A strong gust probably would have an effect, but I'm ready for that. I try changing directions, veering to the left and to the right and back to the left again, waiting for anything, any sort of sign. And then I get it. it's not that playful mental tug or that mental red laser drawing me to it. It's a fucking ghost howl. Yeah, just like on the Mary Celeste. And no, it hasn't been long enough for me to get over it yet. The sound actually forces me to take a step back, but I stop myself. No, not this time. This time, I'm in control. I walk toward it and then stop, waiting for that sound. Then I move again. My eyes are still closed and I'm just working off my other senses. Then I have another sense, a sense of mass, of physicality. I open my eyes. There's one of the huts in front of me. The sound makes me shudder this time, but I keep going.
I'm inside using my cell phone for light again. It looks like the other hut, and without Monica's flashlight, it's not as well lit. So, I didn't see it at first. I wave the flashlight around, thinking I'm gonna see the next artifact, maybe a little walrus carving or a nanook. Instead, there's a body. Great, another dead guy. Just not what I needed. I move closer and study him. He's in military camo, so no doubt one of Monica's buddies, and she'd totally slap me upside the head if she heard me say that. But it's pretty fucking cold what she did, sending them through the door with no clue what to expect. And it looks like they're ending up getting knocked off one by one. I feel like she needs to talk some more about that. What with the whole revenge thing. Like the body found inside the casino building, this one bears no obvious physical injuries. I check his pulse at his neck. Nothing. He looks to be Latino. On his left breast is the embroidered name, Ramirez. I sit back in the corner and think, something's sticking in my ass. Ow! What the hell? I lean to the left and pull out the small object, shining my flashlight on it. No fucking way. It is a little polar bear carving, a regular old nanook of the north. Go figure. That's when I brave the cold and go to get Monica. It's during the round trip to get Monica and bring her back that I realize where we are. Lake Anjakuni is a lake in the far northern reaches of Canada, in the territory known as Nunavut. On a cold night, even colder than it is right now, no doubt, during November of the year 1930, Joe LaBelle, a Canadian fur trapper, stumbled into the tiny Inuit village, exhausted and looking for shelter. Supposedly he found the village completely empty, not a single human in sight. What was strange was that the huts were all set up like there were people in them just moments ago. Pots of steaming stew and plates of cooling food laid out all around for consumption. Lots of bedding and clothing just abandoned. And if you're living in these conditions, then you won't go anywhere without food and warmth to bring with you. It's another mystery without a solution. They did searches around the area trying to find any sign of anyone. The Canadian Mounted Police got involved, but nothing more was ever found out about it. It's just a mystery. One that's supposed to be a little more shrouded in urban legend and folklore than, say, Roanoke, but still. Where'd the people go? Where everyone else went, from the likes of Roanoke and the Mary Celeste and possibly a Martian base. Monica has a lackluster reaction to this story, and after talking it over with her for a bit, as we try to keep warm and close in the hut, I kind of get it. It's a pretty sure bet now that when we go through a door in Ostium, we're going to find an empty place on the other side with all the people enigmatically gone. And I'm going to know something about it. Check and check. She's more interested and perhaps concerned about the dead guy. When I first told her about him, her eyes widened and weren't going to stop unless I told her something else. I quickly said, I'm pretty sure it's not Steve. This helped. I told her about the name on the uniform. This helped a lot, but she still needs to make sure. And now I can feel the blackness coming. Oh, great. Not too fast, but it's definitely making its way here at a decent clip. 
I wait what feels like five or ten minutes, but is probably only a couple. Feels like an eternity. Monica, we need to get going. The blackness is closing in. Be right there. And just when I'm about to go in there and see what the hell's taking her so long, she appears and drops down to the ground. About time, I say, and lead to... where exactly? It's all white, like before, and a colder, deeper chill flows into my chest like liquid nitrogen. We've made a big screw-up. We fucked up royally. The snowfall was lighter when we first arrived, and now it's heavier. But we still should have done better. Should have known better. I have no fucking clue where the door back to Ostium is. Oh, shit. It's still snowing. Cold. Getting colder. Just as we are. I turn to Monica and the look on her face is... Fear. Not something I think I've seen before. The blackness is coming closer. It's getting louder. And we don't know the way back to the Ostium door. We could be looking for hours and still never find it. Okay, I get why she's scared now. Just not used to seeing that expression. Therefore, it's time to get that look off her face and deal with the situation. I quickly recall a similar situation in Avalon, where a different door took us back to Ostium. That's good. That means there's a chance. Hope. So it's just a case of finding that alternate door and getting back to where we live. No biggie. I grab Monica's hand, which feels as cold as mine, twining my fingers through hers. Maybe we'll share some warmth and help each other out. I can't even see the hut we were just in anymore. I don't have time to focus and mentally divine where one of the huts is. Just gotta go with my gut here. Direction doesn't really matter. I'm doing ten paces, then changing direction. Another ten paces, then changing again. But keeping a mental compass so I don't just go in a complete circle and end up where I started. Hopefully. Then I see a dark shadow and charge towards it. It's a hut. We're saved. Maybe. Hopefully. We get close to it, and that's when I form a picture of the doorway in my mind. Only instead of it leading to the inside of the hut with furs and possibly steaming food waiting to be eaten, I'm imagining a black hole, and on the other side of that is a street in Ostium. Wait, not just any street. The street right in front of the clock tower. We jog around the side of the hut until we see the doorway into the hut, about four feet off the ground, with an angled ladder leading to it. It's all black, different from the other two doorways to huts we've seen so far. What do you think? Monica looks at the doorway, noticing a difference. She looks at me, eyebrows raised, then back to the door again in amazement, then back at me one last time in wonder, and she grabs me and kisses me. I'm not gonna lie, I was sorta ready for it this time, in that I was hoping she might do it, in that adolescent teenage boy on a first date with a girl way. Then she draws away and everything is cold and freezing again. She makes sure she has a strong grip on my hand and pulls me up the ladder with her through the door.
The first thing I notice is warmth, or more accurately, the lack of extreme cold. I open my eyes and see there's no snow. I can't help but let out a really contented sigh. Monica bursts into laughter. We're sitting on the ground, and I can see the clock tower from where we are. We just came through a random door in Ostium and ended up exactly where I had planned to be. <sighs> okay, I think it's officially time to start calling this a superpower, because I'm totally nailing it. When I placed the little carved polar bear on top of the number 90 on the map table, the blinding color this time is an iridescent green, and I feel like I'm being blasted with a beam of kryptonite. And then it's all over, and for the first time this day I feel the weight come off my shoulders, and I'm able to relax. We soon have giant mugs of strong tea. I tell Monica I want to start working on putting the recording together. She says she wants to take a nice hot shower. I watch her go into the bedroom and softly close the door behind her. I didn't want to say anything about the kiss, in case it jeopardized it in some way, made it less valid and important, like it was just a little thing, and not the beginning of something that I truly hope will become more. I suppose only time will tell. I'm going to stand back and let her call the shots and the play. <laughs> Probably the whole game. It's late, or early, depending on your perspective. I can hear Jake snoring away in there, and that's with the bedroom door and the bathroom door closed. The guy's got a real set of lungs on him, but at least I know he can't hear me. He's still having the nightmares. I know it's about what he saw in the place where he used to work, the clones, what was on those screens, but I also think it's his subconscious processing what he saw what he knows happened to the world. It's had a big effect on him. It hit him deep, as was expected. But he can't check anymore, can't see what's really going on with the outside. He doesn't know. And that's a good thing. An intentional thing. The less he knows what's really happening, the better. He needs to stay focused, to keep on track. If that means a kiss every once in a while, I can deal. If it means more, we'll have to see. Seeing the Ramirez guy was tough. Not that it was him. I didn't really give a shit. I don't give a shit. But he was dead, like the other one. And that's not good news, is it? Not looking real positive for Steve. But a girl's gotta have hope. Steve's different. Steve's stronger. Steve's better. Steve's... Steve. <laughs> I should fucking know. That guy can get through anything. So now, they may be turning up dead. But I know Steve's still out there, somewhere. And he's okay. And I'm going to find him. No matter what it takes. <laughs> 